Welcome to Size Eyes, the life of a long-term multitasker. This is the Fully Content series, where content is king, but its wisdom is the kingdom. Where learning is simultaneously a convergent and divergent experience. Where the threads of all the content consumed connect to form a mesmerizing web of infinite understanding. This series explores my unique insights, learnings, and connections with books, podcasts, articles, documentaries, and any other forms of content that I consume. Ultimately though, all this knowledge is only a rumor until it is in the muscle. Okay, we're going to be looking at a podcast interview between Lewis Howes and Alex Hermosi, in which Alex Hermosi was a guest on the Lewis Howes The School of Greatness podcast. I believe the content was published on June 17, 2022, and I listened to it about a month after that. So I'm going to be talking you through the notes that I took, as well as the insights that I had that related to my life. So one line that Alex had in there was, competitors don't put you out of business. You obsessing over your competitors puts you out of business. Competitors don't put you out of business. You obsessing over your competitors puts you out of business. So this really leans into, you know, how we shouldn't be thinking about our competitors so much that we do exactly everything like them and then do something, maybe one or two things better, right? Looking at a competitor's price, looking at their products, looking at their services. I think it's smart to get a gauge for what they're doing, where they're at, where they're headed. But if we just spend all our time looking at them and trying to imitate or just be a little bit better than, then we're in a rat race. And that doesn't really distinguish yourselves. So I think that's a great line that I found that he said in there. So one thing that he had in his, in his experience as a gym business owner was the slower you lose fat, the more likely you are of not regaining it. And the inverse is true as well. The quicker you lose fat, the fast, more likely you are to regain it. And so, but to get to that longer term level of being able to lose fat and keep it off, that's a longer term thing. Some people don't have the patience for that but there needs to be some sort of emotional buy-in from the customer. So what they found is they did a six-week program to prove that they could lose weight. So it was that quick win, if you will. Six weeks was still not like immensely quick, but from a weight loss perspective in this context, that time to value was something that they would set expectations for. And once the customer sees, the client sees that, hey, I can lose weight by doing this program, then they're bought in for six months or a year or longer. So finding those sorts of things in your business or in your life, I think is key of finding that quick win and getting that emotional buy-in from a customer. One thing he also said was, if you've ever, if you've ever offered, ever offered something for free and a customer or a client hasn't taken it, 
then there are other costs that you're not taking into consideration. Right, so if something for free, then it's not just based off money that they're making their decision. There may be other factors in there, their perceived value of it. Is this the right person? Is this the right service? Do I even need it? Do I resonate with the pain points? How much sacrifice do I have to take? How much effort do I have to put in, etc. So look at the hidden costs that are there when putting out a product or a service as well. Uh, he's talked about four different types of leverage um, that he's taken from Naval Ravikant. He has them all in C's, uh, alliterating, so collaboration, capital, content, and code. So collaboration is you know, basically people, uh, capital is basically money, content is content, um, since that can scale, and then code is basically technology. Uh, let's see, just scrolling through my notes here. Ah, this is interesting. So one thing that he said was the time horizon language that we use is very indicative of the state of wealth we are in. Right, so I need to make money this week or this month is a vastly different conversation and thought process and mindset from someone who is thinking, I want to set up generational wealth. Those are two different thought processes. And the actions that people take that align with those thought processes are vastly different as well. So, you know, I know some people in my life directly who think like that. And maybe at a certain age, you can't necessarily, you know, it's harder to think like this is generational wealth when you're 60 years old, right? But that's the challenge. So, so it's easier to think about that when you're younger. So why not think about it when you're younger, like I am right now? Let me set up time for generational wealth and quote unquote retirement or, you know, my kids if I have them or whatever it is for future generations long before I'm thinking or society thinks that I should be thinking about them. So I'm going to be thinking about time and money in a long-term way. And I think that is what my 150-year plan has already kind of leaned into. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, another quote in there was, selling is everything you do before you present price. Closing is what you do after. Selling is everything you do before you present price. Closing is what you do after. So you're talking about the product, you're talking about, you know, excuse me, you're trying to identify their problem, label them with it, trying to solve that, an overview of what they've tried before, right? All these different types of things before you actually present the price. So you're trying to get the emotional buy-in before, and then the price is the price, right? Which we can talk about at a different point or later as well. And the last thing I'll mention that he's directly said was, the reason that they say they don't want to do something is probably the very reason that they probably should do it. And I found that in my life as well, of I have this mental language, this mental battle within myself. It's like, oh, I don't want to take a cold shower today, or I don't want to work out. This bed is comfy, this sofa is comfy. Let me just sleep in for a little bit more. 
let me just eat out, it'll taste better. All these different types of things to appease my mind, to be in the comfort zone. Or within my business, right? It's like, do I want to charge something? It's easy making stuff free. But I haven't pushed outside that comfort zone yet to charge something for my services yet. And maybe that's the exactly what I have to do because I know I don't want to do it, right? I think in our lives, that's probably the most common thing, one of the most common things of what we should do and what we shouldn't do. If we just break it down by, I don't want to do this or I, I want to do this, most of the things that we should be doing are the things that we don't want to do. Now, of course, over time, what we should do, what we want to do, what we need to do should all align. But to get there, we have to do what we don't want to do. All right, so looking at my notes here, uh, one thing that I was kind of thinking about listening to this, con this podcast, this conversation over a couple of days was how does it translate to To You Laundry and Laundry Lab? And one of the things that he was talking about or one of the messages that I thought about when he was talking is how do I focus not just on marketing but on the product side of it. Like what is the actual product for To You Laundry? What is the actual product for Laundry Lab? With more of my time being in Laundry Lab these days, I'm going to be talking about Laundry Lab here. The Laundry Lab is not just the laundromat. It's the it's not just the machines, it's not just the lounge area, it's not just the family replay learn area, it's not just all those things. They make up a part of it. But I would say one of the biggest pieces of the product and the service of going to a laundry lab is the interaction with the employees, the sense of community that you get that you don't get at other laundromats you go to in your area. And focusing on that product and having the hindsight now of having gone to the clean show that just really doubled down on the customer experience through employees as the best way to market, the best way for community. It's this leverage as he's talking about, right? These four types of leverage, this collaboration, these, the people that we have, leverage that. Leverage the employees that we have. We have great employees. Let's lean into them more and push our marketing campaigns more, more engagement, all these different types of things. So I think there's a lot of potential there. Uh, let's see. Similar to similar on, on those along those lines, I have to be not just literate in my marketing KPIs, but also product KPIs on both ends, but on both Laundry Lab and to you side, but specifically Laundry Lab. You know, I gotta be looking at uh, different product metrics, operations, looking at turns, looking at utilization, looking at employee, customer engagement, looking at reviews. Um, anything that is not specifically marketing per se, but that is the product and customer experience related, I have to be taking a look at that. The time to value is a big thing that Alex Ramosi talks about. In this case, what the time to value in the laundry lab is the moment they park their car, maybe even the moment they leave their door at home, 
until they have clean clothes back at home, right? Is that a two hour? Is that a one hour? Is that a three hour experience? However long that is, we gotta figure that out because that is really what they're, that's the full value of a laundro lab, of a laundromat in general. But if that is the KPI that we're optimizing for, how do we make that smaller? How do we make that more efficient and more valuable for a customer? As you guys will see Alex Hermosi's value equation. And it was kind of funny because as he was talking about the value, value equation in this and other content that I've seen of his is basically what I've done with my value add and friction reduction framework, which is instead of a pros and cons list, it's way more in depth of things that add value, things that reduce friction with a layer of time as well. So what things add value now, what things add value in the future, what things reduce friction now, what things reduce friction in the future. And those are just, those are four components of the pros list, you know, of a typical pros and cons list. And then you have the same thing on the cons side of what would reduce value now, what would add friction now, what would reduce value in the future, and what would add friction in the future. So then you have eight subsections within this previously two sections of pros and cons. And then you're able to get a much more detailed granular view of how you're adding value, reducing friction, or, in, or conversely, when you're thinking about adding a product, product line, service, adding price, or increasing price, whatever it is. One thing that he talks about as well is, you know, that I touched on here was about competition, right? And one thought I had was, you know, how do we take competition and view it and reframe it as collaboration in the laundromat industry? And especially, again, I'll mention the clean show since it happened a couple of weeks after I listened to this. But how do we reframe it as collaboration? So I've been starting to use alternatives as language instead of competitors because you have all these laundromat owners that came to the clean show, all these people in the laundry industry who are theoretically competitors but we don't view it like that. We all come together, community, free, we came together for a free laundry day all across five different locations in Atlanta to do 75,000 pounds of free laundry for hundreds and hundreds of customers. Right? It's all these laundromat owners coming together across the country. And how do we take this competition and reframe it as collaboration? I think that's going to be a big thing. And I think that's going to be tougher to actually relay to franchisees. It'll be easy enough internally, but people who come in as franchisees, they have a perception, you know, especially if they're in sales, if they're, you know, they've been in whatever industry they've been in for a while. You know, these are high net worth individuals and highly sophisticated people. They're going to have their own thoughts and beliefs and rightfully so it's worked for them in their life to get them to, you know, millions of dollars of net worth. Why should they change their mindset? Because it's worked in their life, right? I think there's more potential when we shift it to collaboration instead of competition. I think we're limiting our potential there. But how do you relay that? And am I even right in that assessment of collaboration 
better than competition. Anyways. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I think that is... Then the last thing I want to mention here is... It wasn't mentioned in the podcast, but just... You know, I thought about the be, do, have triangle. I've talked about this before on other pieces of content, so you might have heard of it. But having a, a be, do, have type of framework of let me be the person so I can do these things so I can have anything I want rather than the opposite of what other people are in of uh, let me have something which will then allow me to do whatever I want to, so that I can I can then be happy. So in this be, do, have sort of framework, how do we then have that, translate that from an individual scale to a organizational scale? How do we be the embodiment of integrity? How do we have just excellence running through our veins? How do we have accountability across everything that we do in our company? These values that we say we strive for, but should actually just be the baseline of everything that we do that is the B level on the B do have triangle on organizational scale. That will trickle down into, let's say, OKRs, which are everything that we're doing and which will then allow us to have hundreds of laundry labs across the country, hundreds of two markets operating efficiently and effectively across the country to be raking in tens, hundreds of millions of dollars and providing a valuable service for customers, for franchisees, for employees, for everyone involved. So that's going to be a challenge on my end of how do we translate this be-do-have framework into the workplace. So those are my thoughts right now, uh, directly from and stemming from the conversation between Alex Ramosi and Lewis House on the School of Greatness podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Size Eyes podcast. And I will see you next time.